Well, like I said, we are in a brand new series called The Blessed Life. I don't know if it's brand new because we, you know, this is kind of a bring back of last year, but uh, hopefully it's going to be new for a lot of you. Hopefully it'll be a refresher for some of you. And so everybody shout blessed. Blessed, blessed is one of those churchy words. You know, you don't, you're not hanging out at the bar and be like, how you doing? I'm blessed. You know, you know, it's just not, you're not kicking it with, you know, it's a churchy word. It's a Christian word. And it's a word that we draw out of the Old Testament. It's a word that we brought into the New Testament. It's a word that ultimately, there were actually two meanings of the way that you looked at the word blessed or two different words. One of them meant that God just absolutely just did something for you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. God just wanted to hook you up and he, everybody shout blessed. He blessed you. The other type of blessing that we find in the, in the scripture is this, is that blessing that comes from how you live life. Meaning that blessings that come as a reaction to the decisions and the choices that you make. Now, how many of you know in life, you see a lot of people that operate in, in just getting what God gives them? You see other people just getting maybe what they've earned. I'll tell you where the sweet spot of life is, is both. You want to get blessed and blessed. You want to be blessed because God is, is over your life and favoring you, but you want to get blessed too because you are in full alignment with what God has said the principles and laws that he set the earth in motion with, and if you will get in line with what he said, he said, listen, there's just going to be a blessing that comes on you. And here, here's the question I'll start with today. How many of you believe that God's love is unconditional? God loves you. He does. Ridiculously, doesn't make any sense. We certainly don't deserve it or earn it anyway, but he loves us. That is unconditional. And guess what? Our brains, really, we don't even know what that means. But, how many of you believe like the promises of God and the blessings of God are unconditional? How many of you believe that? They're not. They're not. If you go read scripture, what you'll find is, is you'll find so many promises that say, if you do this, then I will do this. And that's a promise, isn't it? You give your kids promises all the time. Like, if you eat your vegetables, you will get some dessert. And it's a promise, isn't it? If you lie to your kids, they will never eat vegetables again. Don't you dare lie to those kids about eating the vegetables. We have to do this. We have to like, you know, if you do this, we, we reward, don't we? I mean, don't you reward good behavior? We reward good things. And life is the same way that God says, look, if you will live according to my ways, I promise you will just be on the path of reward. So the promises of God and the blessings of God are not necessarily unconditional. They are conditional. Meaning that's why we say if you do this, then you get this. And what we'll find in Scripture is this is that God absolutely loves you, and therefore he wants to bless you. That's his desire and want to. But at the same time, there's something that's required of us to get in line with what that is. And, and today I want to give you this first huge principle, which is the principle of first. Everybody say first. Jesus said it like this. It's a real common scripture. It says, seek what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which we're not sure what that means. I might get to that later in the series. His righteousness, and then all these things, and the things that you're referring to, the things that you need in life. All these things will be added to you. But he said, listen, listen. If you want to live the blessed life, I promise you, if you set God first, because here's what we know throughout every arena of life. Whatever you set first sets the tone for how everything else goes. Whatever you set first, it will set the tone for everything that else that follows. And what you'll find is this is that being first is the only, everybody say only, is the only way God can be in your life. Did you know that? Did you know that God cannot be second in your life? And you can argue with me, so we'll talk to me. He is second in my life. Well, no, he's not. He's either first or he's not. But he is not second. Does that make, this, is one of the, this is what we call the attributes of God. God being God 
And the greatness that he is has certain attributes, things that he is, not just things that he does. Does that make sense? We just talked about this a second ago. How many believe God is love? I mean, that's what he is. Now, does God love? Yeah, but it's more than what he does. It's who he is, meaning he cannot not love. Does that make sense? It's just a part of Did I use a double negative? A not not? That's the way it is, though. That's how big God is. He can fall into the double negatives and still make it work. God is love. It's a part of what we would say is an attribute, meaning just something that he is. Let me give you some of the attributes of God because I want want you to see how great the God that you serve is. Let, Let me give you a thought. God cannot change. Did you know that? God can't change. It's what we call the immutability of God. God cannot, and here's why. Because if God could change, God could get better. But God can't get better. He's already best. Best can't get better. It's just it's what it is. It's so like, and how many know that's a good thing that he doesn't change? It, it, the Bible says it in the book of Malachi. It says, I am the Lord God. I do not change. And therefore, you're not consumed. Because right, God is love, right? Well, what if he could change? Then he could be angry. What if God is angry? Like all this is who he is. We'd be in trouble. We would cease to exist, wouldn't we? Because there's no way we measure up to his holiness. So aren't we glad that God is love and he doesn't change? Can I get, yeah, thank, thank the Lord. Here's another idea. Hey, God cannot think. Yeah, God can't think. Have you ever thought about that? Well, he doesn't think the way that you and I think. Some of you are already thinking about a certain scripture. I'll, I'll share that when you say it. God cannot think. Let let me put it like this. This is what we call like the omniscience of God, meaning that he is all-knowing, right? If God is all-knowing, can he ever think? No, because he already knows it. Um, To to, to put it like this, um, you and I think so that we can figure things out, right? God has never figured anything out. He already knew what it was. So he didn't have to think. Like, God has never had a moment where he's like, you know what just occurred to me? Like, I had this incredible thought today. Like he looks at Jesus, like, you know what I thought I was thinking today and I had this great idea. He's never done that before. God can't think, at least not the way that you and I think. And there's a scripture that even kind of proves this. Listen to this, Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not, everybody say not. They're not your thoughts. I don't think the way that you think. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. And listen to this. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Do, do you know what that means? Let me help you out. Any science people out here? You're like a nerd science. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so like light travels at what? Does anybody remember? 186,000. Oh, there's some smart people in this room. 186,000 miles per what? Second. Not hour, per second. 186,000. Now, this is what that means. I'm going to tell you how brilliant God is compared to you and me. Are you ready? So light travels again, 186,000. This is what this means. Everybody snap your finger. Run to the... Okay, what that means is this, is that light just traveled all the way around the earth about half a dozen times. And the moment it took you to snap your finger. Let's put it in this context. If you were driving to the sun and you obeyed the speed limit of 65 miles an hour, which most of y'all don't, but if you obeyed the speed limit, do you know how long it would take you to drive from here to the sun, which is our closest star? It would take you 163 years. You just drive, like, babe, we're going on a car trip. We're just... Are we there yet? No, shut up. You know, you would just, you'd be saying that a lot. 163 years it would take you to get to the sun. And you've probably heard this before. Like when you, when you, when you feel sunlight, what, you know how old that is? It's like eight minutes old sunlight. That's how long it took to get from the sun to you. So if, if the sun ever just burns out like a light bulb, you know it actually burned out eight, eight minutes ago. 
Yeah, that's, that's been gone. That's eight minutes ago. It's already burned out. Like, and, and, and this is what you got to realize. Like, that's the star that's closest to us in a small galaxy called the Milky Way, which is one of many galaxies that we figured out. And here's what you got to know. Scientists, when you look at the, the, the discovery of galaxies, the best one that they found in terms of length away is 15.5 billion light years away. The sun is, is like I said, it, it's a lot, lot closer, which means this. Your best thought on your best day of the best day of your life is still 15.5 billion light years away from how brilliant God is. How do you feel dumber now? You're like, I'm not that smart. I'm not as smart as I thought I was. My point is this, is that God has some incredible attributes. Like I said, he can't change. He doesn't, he doesn't think like we think. He, here's another one. Here's what we call being preeminent. Pre meaning before and imminent being the highest and above all. When I say God cannot be second, he can only be first, this is the preeminence of God. Meaning like you can't get God second. It's impossible for him to be second. That's how great he is. Let me put it this way. If I play golf, if you're a golfer, if God were to go play 18 holes of golf, do you know what his score would be? 18. Why? Because as soon as he hit it, it would just go in the hole. God cannot not be first, be best, be above all. So he, the greatness of God is so huge. This is what you got to understand. Before time began, what was there? Just God. Was there any space? Nope. Not until he created it. So what you got to realize is that before space and time began, there was God, and God had to literally pull himself back to make time and space so that you could be in it. He's big. He's too many big. He's too great. He is first. And so what God has done in his preeminence and all of his great attributes, what he's done is he set the earth in motion with these certain laws and principles and ideas. And one of the ones that we need to recognize today is, is that God always wants to be first and he's implemented this principle so that you can be blessed. Because if you walk away from this series, anything, you need to know this. God is not trying to get something out of you. God's trying to get something to you. Okay? God is not broke, clearly. If God had to pull himself back to make time and space to put you in, I mean, do you, do you think God needs money? As if money were a thing to him. What God said in tone, though, or, or set in, in motion was the principle of this idea is that when you put him first, everything else falls into order and into place because he's either first or he's nothing in your life. And that's a tough pill to swallow because we think, well, wow, I really haven't been putting God first here and here and here and here and here. And then we wonder when life, when life begins to unravel why that is. And it's because God is either first. He will never be second. He is second to no one. He's got to be first. And when it comes to being blessed in this life, I want you blessed in every arena of your life. I'm not trying to get you here today so you can have a blessed checkbook or a blessed bank account. I want your whole life blessed. But a huge part of that is uh, having to do with your stuff, with your possessions, and with your income. And I'll tell you why this is so important. It's because, and I'll show this to you in later weeks, is that Jesus says how you treat your stuff and your possessions is the greatest indicator of who sits on the throne of your heart. It is the greatest indicator. What you do with your money is proof of where your true focus and priorities are. How many of you would agree with that already? Let's, if we just had an honest moment. Where we put our money 
is really the truest indicator of where our heart is. This is why Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He didn't say, where your heart is, your treasure will follow. He said, it's the opposite. This idea of first now comes into play because when God asks us to give, and God always deals in the realm of like tithes and offerings throughout Scripture. Tithe means tenth, if you didn't know that. And so Christians and believers in God from thousands and thousands of years now have known that we give the first tenth to God. And this is what we call first fruits. Let's read the scripture I read to you a moment ago. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first, everybody say first fruits. It was first fruits, it was firstborn, it was, first, it was the first of everything. And then listen to the, the, the follow-up. Remember I said promises are conditional. Everybody say Then. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, unless you are here and you actually are in the wine industry of Livermore, um, this doesn't apply to you directly. This is their way of saying what you put your hand to will be blessed. What your life is involved with will have overflow into it. So here's this idea. Everybody say the tithe is first. So when I ever talk about tithing, what you need to know is this, is that God has put a unique emphasis not on just a tenth, or a tithe, but the first tithe. So this is how it would work. Let's say you were a farmer in ancient Israel. Then what you would do is, is at the very beginning of harvest season, you would not wait until you had 10 bushels of whatever, take one, and then go give it to God. That's not what you would do. You would wait until you got your first bushel, and before you pulled anything else out, you would set that to the side and say, that's God's. Does that make sense? So let me, let me, so you're a farmer, you're a rancher, and you got a bunch of, of like sheep. When that firstborn of the flock comes out, you don't wait till there's 10 little lambs and then take one and say, God, that's yours. You actually, before you've even got 10, you take the first one and you say, mm, that's God's. Because that's what requires really putting God first. It's the faith to say, God, before I even get nine more, I already know this is yours and I'm setting this to the side. Do you see the difference? Because many of us say, well, I got to wait till I get 10. And then boom, that's God's. Or what we do is, is we wait till we got 10, we pay the mortgage, we pay the Macy's, we pay Visa, we pay, pay, pay. And it's like, okay, I got this left over. Well, I'll give this much to God. And that's not first, and it may not be 10th. This is the idea that God has implemented throughout Scripture. And I'll show it to you. I could show you through example, example, example. There's, there's tons of them throughout Scripture. I want to hone in on one today. So if you have your Bible, go, to, go with me to, um, to Genesis. Let's go all the way back to the beginning because there's this unique story and I've heard other people talk about this story and not sure with why God did what he did or how it all unfolded. But in Genesis, there's an incredible story of this idea of first. Now, how many know, again, Genesis literally means beginnings or first, yeah. So, so let's go here real quick here. In, in Genesis, what you'll find is this, is you'll find a story Genesis chapter 4, verse number 1. Listen to these words. The Bible says that Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Everybody say twins. This is, the, this is a story of twins. People believe this because she, she conceived once, but she bore twice. So most scholars, when they look at this, they look at Cain and Abel, twins, the first kids of Adam and Eve. The Bible says, now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. So now we got one's a rancher, one's a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. 
And the Lord looked with favor on Abel in his offering, but on Cain in his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Notice he says, if you will not do what is right. Which means there's a precedent that's already set that these guys already know that there is a right way and a wrong way to do what they're doing. He says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It, des- it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And then, of course, if you know the story of Cain and Abel, you know that eventually Cain stays angry and goes and murders his, br- his brother. How terrible is that? Like, you thought your family was jacked up. The first family in, in all of history, in all of the Bible, in all of recorded history. Y- yeah, that's bad. And it all hinges on this one idea. Now, for the longest time, when I read this scripture, I had no idea why God liked Cain's or Abel's offering and did not like Cain's. I had to thought that God liked meat because I like meat. I like steak and beef and pork and steak. And that's what I like. And I thought, well, God's like me. He doesn't like fruits and veggies because I don't particularly. Are there any kids in here? Yeah. I don't want to ruin your kids. But yeah, I, that, that's just the way that I grew up. I was never big on fruits and veggies. And I thought, well, God is a carnivore. God likes his meat. And he did not like the fact that Cain just had some fruits and veggies. That was, that was the way that I interpreted it. And when you look at it, though, when you look closer, what you'll find is this. And let's read carefully. The Bible says that when Cain brought his offering, it specifically says in the course of time. Now, how many know that doesn't sound like he jumped on that right away? That was like a, when I get around to it, God... In the course of time. Look at else it says. It says some of the fruits of the soil as an offering. Everybody say an offering. Now we already learned. Does, 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 does the tithe mean first or is it just anything? It means first. So here you've got Cain looking at the watch saying, well, God, when I get to it, I'll bring you something. And God rejects it. And then you got Abel doing the exact opposite, and he brings his offering to the Lord, and the Bible says specifically that it's from the what? It's from the firstborn of his flock. And the Bible says God's totally pleased with his offering. Where did they learn this from? I'm telling you what, there's a lot of things about Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and things that, that, that we don't always know, but that literally God had taught Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had passed down to Cain and Abel. There's even an offering before this that takes place where God sacrifices on their behalf. So like this idea of offerings is not a new idea. And I guarantee you these are grown men. This isn't the first time they've ever given an offering before. These aren't little boys and little kids going out, you know, doing some, some, some you know, garden work in their mama's backyard for the first time. These are grown men who knew what was right, and that's why God said, if you would just do what was right. Isn't that amazing to think that God even gave Cain a second chance? Because you could say, well, he didn't know. Well, even if he didn't know, God came back and challenged him and said, look, if you'll just do what is right, won't I accept that offering? And if you do what's wrong, sin lies at the door. So God's putting this thing in comparison here. These guys knew what was right, and Cain just chose not to. And here's what I find all the time is that there's usually two reasons why we're reluctant to give. This is based on my conversations with a number of different people and judging my own heart. There's two reasons that we're reluctant to give. Number one is fear. I talk to so many people that they're afraid to give. And and many times you've grown up always having less. You've kind of grown up maybe in poverty. You grew up and and mom always said, we can't afford that and we can't afford that and we can't afford that. So you just kind of grew up always thinking, there's not enough. 
There's not, I won't have enough. What if we don't have enough? What if we run out? And you literally have that kind of mentality and that fear stays in your heart. And so then all of a sudden, someone like me comes along and says, no, I promise, give God first. He'll bless the rest. I mean, let's be honest. What if I just gave you that guarantee? What if I say, look, if you give the first 10% to God, that God will multiply the 90% and make it go farther, longer, and better, would you do it? Some of us would still struggle because fear resides in our heart and it says, I just don't, I don't know. What if, it, what if it just doesn't work out? What if this and what if this and what if this? And that's why giving requires faith, isn't it? But the second reason, there is a second reason, and I find this one in my heart more than I find the other one, is the second reason we don't give is just because we're greedy. There is something in us that says, I want more stuff. I want to do what I want to do. Isn't that in essence what Cain, Cain's issue wasn't fear, Cain's issue was greed, wasn't it? When you look at his heart, he just basically, I'll do it when I want to do it. And I've heard Christians say this. Well, I give when I feel led to give. Well, why would you do that? If God told you when and how to give, why would you say I'll give when I feel led to give? That, that seems like a contradiction of like how God would want. I mean, like, you know, what if God says thou shalt not have adultery? You'd be like, look, I'll not have adultery when I want to have not adultery. Or... Well, God says don't lie. Well, I'll think about when I feel like it's necessary to lie. You know, if my wife doesn't need to know, I just doesn't need to know. Maybe her hips do look too big in that dress. I don't know. Maybe I should tell her. My point is this, is that we don't look to God and say, I'll tell you when your commands are worth following and not following. And that's, in essence, what, what Cain did. And he had this, I'll prove it to you, because Adam and Eve in this story and, and Cain and Abel, this isn't the only place in Scripture this is talked about. Go with me to a different book. This is the book of Jude. Jude, verse 11. Now, here's the funny thing about Jude. Jude has no chapters. It's only one chapter. So you don't have chapter this, verse that. You just have verse this. And look at, look at this verse. Verse number 11 says, Woe to them... They, and he's talking about, there's a certain group of people that he's addressing in the church, but look how he references them. He says, they have gone the way of Cain. They, and he goes on to describe what that means, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. So him saying that they went the way of Cain, these people, he was saying this, they're just like Balaam and they're just like Korah. Well, Balaam was greedy and he took money to prophesy against the people of God and Korah led a rebellion against Moses. He says, this is, this is the way of Cain. You, know, you want to know what was in the heart of Cain is why Cain had issues with this whole offering thing? Is ultimately, he said, I want to do it my way. I'll give when I want to give. I'll give the amount I want to give, and I'm going to give when I feel led to give, or whatever. And he just had this kind of rebellious and greedy thing in his heart, and that's what the Bible describes Cain as having. Now, Abel also, though, is described in other parts of Scripture. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. You'll see the opposite reaction. The heart of Abel is this, Hebrews 11 verse 4. It says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Isn't that just as clear as day? He brought it by faith, and it was better than Cain's. The reason why it was accepted and Cain's rejected is he brought it in faith, and he brought it, everybody say first. First. So the Bible says, by faith, he was commended as righteous. Now that sounds crazy. All he did was bring an offering. No, what he did was this, is he put God first. And he trusted God with everything else left over in his life. And that right there, because the Bible says that righteousness comes by faith. I, I don't have time to get into all this. I might talk about this later. But the Bible says that he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. So here you find the contrasting. It's, it's not a, it's, do you see what God's getting after? It's not even an amount issue. This is a heart issue, isn't it? 
He said, I'm not dealing with numbers and figures. I don't even need your money. I just want your heart. And the greatest indicator of whether I have your heart is through this idea. Do you put God first in every aspect of your life? Well, I pray. Well, I go to church. Well, I do, but, but that's not what Jesus said. That's not even what God said. And I, I would just challenge you to say, is God truly first in my life when you take a look at the measuring stick that we're talking about today? Because I'm telling you, I don't have time to go through every scripture today, but there's an indicator of the condition of your heart, and it's truly based on how it is that you see your stuff, your possessions, and your income. And God knows truly when he's got that, he's got everything. And I've seen it. I, I've seen it so many times over the years, and I've been, doing, I've been doing pastoral ministry since I was 17 years old. I have never seen people who were faithful givers stray off in other areas of their life. I just haven't seen it. People who are faithful with their tithes and offerings, there's something unique about it. God's blessed their life, and because that is first, you will see the rest of their life highly, highly ordered. And so I'm telling you here today, if you want your life blessed, if you want literally God to open up the windows of heaven in all of your life, this is the best way to start your year off right here. Let, let's keep going, because I want to show you this truth here. What you'll find is this, over and over, repeated throughout Scripture, throughout history, and through every testimony of every person that's a, a, a consistent tither in this church, is this, is that tithing always produces provision, and it produces protection. I just promise you, I, I, there, was a, there was an offering that came in the, uh, I never look at offerings, just so you know, if you ever wonder, like, I, wonder if I don't know what you give, I don't know who gives and who doesn't. But I know that there's this one gentleman who's a consistent giver, just because I see his name pop up all the time, and he wrote on his offering form, uh, officially and finally out of debt. And he's been a faithful giver for years in this church, and I'm just so excited, because I think that's it, that's what we want. We want people being uh, prosperous, but I'm telling you, when you put God first, it orders everything else so that you can get out of debt, you can overcome, you can prosper the way God wants you to prosper. Again, God loves you, so do you think he wants to prosper you? If you grew up in one of those old school churches that taught you God wanted to keep you poor so he could keep you humble, you haven't read the whole book. God actually, the Bible actually says in the book of Psalms that God delights in the prosperity of his servant. God delights in your prosperity. But there's a way to do it. It starts with this idea of first. One more example. I'm going to give it to you in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, you'll see this, this same idea that what we do with our stuff and possessions is really the indicator of what's going on in our heart. The, the Bible says of Abraham. Abraham was told to go and sacrifice his only son. Now, what was Abraham already promised? He was promised to have a family that ultimately would be as big as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. How I many? that's big? That's like, don't come over for Christmas big. And he says, that's the type of family I'm going to give you. And he's like, great, God. And he waits for years to finally get his first son. He finally gets his first son. He's like, I'm on my way. Stars in the sky are coming. And God asked him to take his, everybody say first, his first son and do something just ridiculously crazy. He said, I want you to, I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to kill him which was totally common in his day. So this is what Abraham does. Abraham obeys God, trusts God. The Bible says, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, saying, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Quickly. And the angel says, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Aren't you thankful God doesn't actually, yeah. What you'll find is this was the test. Because look at these next words. Everybody look at these words right here. Now I know. 
Now I know. You ever wondered why God had this put in motion the way that it did? Because God's just wanting to make sure that he has your heart. But the greatest indicator of your heart is what you do with what God's given you. And he says, now I know. Now I know that you won't hold anything back from me that I am absolutely preeminent and first in your life. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Let's keep going. Is there any more? Here it is. So Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it instead as a burnt offering, instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. This is the moment where God says, look, I want to be your provider. This is my promise to you. But here's the deal. i got to know that I'm first. And if I'm first... I'll always provide. Isn't that what we just said? The tithe always brings provision and it always brings protection. And every story I ever get from anybody that I see that's a faithful giver, I promise you this, I always see God constantly staying faithful and, and showing up on their behalf. And it is not that God doesn't love you. God absolutely loves you. But the only way that God can truly trust you with more is if he already knows what you'll do with, with what you've already been given. Does that make sense? You do this with your kids all the time. You entrust them. You, 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 you kind of let the leash go out a little bit to see how will they handle freedom? How will they handle driving the car? How will they handle money? How will they do that? And you kind of just want to let that leash go out and see how will they do it. And you know this, when they're incredibly responsible or faithful, all of a sudden you know, wow, I can trust them. And you just let that freedom go further and further and further. But when they don't do it, as long as you're not an enabling parent, you kind of pull that thing back in. And that's, in essence, what God does with his blessing. And here's why God does it. If you ever wanted to know why God blesses some people and doesn't others, it's because he loves you. Some of us, if we were truly blessed financially, we would wreck our lives. We really would. Like, some of us pray to win the lottery. For, for, for many of us in this room, if we won the lottery, it would be the worst thing that ever happened to us. We would destroy our life, our future, our family. We'd be depressed. We'd, if you ever go look at the statistics of people that win the lottery, if you ever go look at the statistics of people who had incredible large amounts of wealth, there was a study back, back in the 1950s that took the, the 100 most wealthy people in America back in the 1950s, and then it tracked them to the end of their life, and over half of them absolutely wrecked and destroyed their lives and their family. Sometimes when our heart is not right, blessing will kill us. So do the blessings and promises of God, are they unconditional? No, of course not. Why? Because he loves you. God knows your life would be better off restricted financially than it would be to be amazingly blessed because the, the, the proof in your heart is, is that if I was given more, I wouldn't know what to do with it. I wouldn't be faithful with it, and I'd probably go crazy and wreck my life. Now, here's a thought. How many of you want God to trust you with more? Oh, but we got scared all of a sudden. Like, I don't know. Maybe I don't. I'm not sure. Maybe I don't want to win the lottery now. How many of you ever pray that prayer like, Lord, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give you half. You know, we've done. God's like, that half will kill you. I'm not doing that. Um, God absolutely loves you. His love is unconditional, but his blessing and his promises, they're conditional based on the condition of our heart. And there's no better test, there's no better indicator to the condition of our heart than what we do with what we've already got. Because some of us will do that. Well, Lord, if I had more, I would give. No, you wouldn't. If you can't tie the dollar off of 10, I promise you, checks get harder to write the bigger they get, no matter how much money you got. It gets harder to write. Wait till you write $1,000 checks. You're like, oh, good Lord. 
There's like, I remember the first time we ever wrote a big offering. It was kind of painful. I felt uncomfortable. But I knew I was supposed to do it. So don't think, well, if I had more, I'd give more. That's not true. As a matter of fact, you'd find that in every study. You'd find that to be the opposite too. What you'll find in America is that the, the lower income earners actually give a higher percentage of people that earn large amounts of money for that very reason. This is exactly why God instituted a tithe, meaning it literally means tenth. The reason why the tenth was given was because the tenth always moves in proportion to whatever you make. It's always the same. If you make a hundred bucks a day or if you make a million dollars a day, it always moves with you. It's never like, well, you give this much and you give that much, and on this day you give that much, but on this day you give less. It's not, it's just a percentage. That way God always knows that no matter how much you make, it's still the same measuring stick across the board. He knows he can trust you. Now here's the deal, and we'll close here. If you're taking medicine, it's 1120. When we look at Cain and Abel, you got to ask yourself, okay, why was God, because Cain got offended, didn't he? Cain got so offended and he got so angry, he was angry with God, he was angry with his brother that he couldn't, he couldn't kill God. God's too big. But he could kill his brother and he goes off and he, and he murders. And, and you got to think like, why was Cain so offended? You know who was really offended in this situation? God was offended. I'll tell you why God was offended. It's because God never asks of you what he himself is not willing to do himself. He never asks of you what he has not already even done. You know why he's, um, Abraham was called the friend of God? The Bible says that in this story, he was referred to later as the friend of God. Do you know why I believe he was referred to as the friend of God? Nobody could quite understand God like Abraham could. Because see, one day God was going to give his first and his only and his best. And Abraham was called the friend of God. I believe God could truly look at Abraham on a level different than everybody else and say, you know what? You get me. You understand what this takes. You know that in a few thousand years, I'm going to have to do this exact same thing, that I'm going to have to give up my only, my one, my first, my best son. And I'm going to have to sacrifice him for everybody else. I'll prove it to you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. The Bible says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The what? The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Colossians 1, 15. Listen to this. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The what? The firstborn over all creation. Isn't that what God did? God doesn't ask you to do anything he himself is not willing to do. And so when he says, Cain, I just want you to give me your first and your best, that's it. I, I, that, that's, that's, the, that's the measuring stick of whether or not I have your heart. Here's how I know. I'm going to do this myself. And so how is it that I'm going to give my best, but you can't do the same in return? How is it that I get, think about John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave what? His first, his only begotten, and his absolute best. So that you and I could be saved. So that you and I could be forgiven. And here we have it. Here we have this idea that God is working in us to absolutely wrench our heart of greed, to wrench our heart of fear, to remove all the other obstacles, all the other idols, all the other issues, to say, I want to be first in your life because if I'm first, everything else will be ordered properly. If I'm first, everything else can be blessed. If I'm first, I can open up the windows of heaven. If I'm first, I can trust you with more. I want to be first because here's the deal with God. He cannot be second. He is first or he's not at all. God is second to no one. He is preeminent. 
And when we put God in our, our first in our life, I promise you this, we take on a whole new outlook to life. Or, or all of a sudden, things start falling together. I promise you, relationships will start to work out better. Why? Because God will have access to every part of your heart. And things will begin to flow in a better direction. I can promise you that. You can take this one to the bank. So here's the question that we all have to ask ourselves today. God, where, where do I need to go next? What's my next step? What are you saying to me today? What are these verses led me towards today. And I've talked to so many people, and if you're in here today and you say, you know what, Todd, I really do want to tithe, but I'm so backed up here, 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 and here, and I don't think I can. Here's, and I've had this question many times. I want to tell you this. Start now and start somewhere. For many of you, you might not be able to do a tenth and still put food on the table. That, that, that's fine. I don't want you to starve to death. God doesn't want you to starve to death either. Start somewhere. Because if you, if you put it off and delay and delay and delay and say, well, maybe next year or maybe when. or when, Remember I said, when I have more, I'll give more. Don't do that. Start somewhere. Even if you say, yeah, I'm just going to start with 3%, and that's the best I can do. Then start there and then make it a point to say, every year I want to increase it by 1% or whatever I can until I'm all the way there. But God, I am going to start now, and I'm going to at least start somewhere to show you you absolutely have my heart. And God, I want you to, encourage, to continue to challenge me, to encourage me, to help me do this. And I'm telling you what, the rest of this series is going to help you. Because it's more than just this. Let, let, me, let me put this caveat on there. And then we're going to pray. If you tithe and then did everything else crazy, the tithe is not like a magic trick. You know what I mean? We want to equip you for the whole 100%, but I'm telling you, if we don't get this right, nothing else matters. If we don't start with God first, you can do everything else right and you'll be okay, but you'll never truly experience the blessing that God wants over your life. So that's my encouragement to you today is start now and start somewhere. And if you maybe did this last year and then it kind of faded out, jump back on board. If, you, if you've been there in the past, jump back on board. If you've never heard this before, start somewhere and start now. I promise you, you can take this to the bank. Get back in here next week as we continue down this path. There's a lot more to be said. How many believe God wants you blessed? He does. He does. How many believe God really needs your money? As if God needed money. God absolutely wants you blessed. He wants your heart. He wants to be first. He wants to be preeminent in your life because he's first or he's nothing at all. Let's pray this morning. Father, today, God, there's some of us that need to repent and turn around. And God say, you know what? I... I I knew this was coming and I knew I needed this challenge and God, I, I, I want to get back. I want you to be first in my life and we need to make those steps today. So God, we repent. For some of us, this is new information and God, we just want to act on it. Give us the courage to overcome the fear. God, give us the generosity to overcome the greed. God, give us the ability to take these first steps, God. And for those of us who are already doing it, God, I pray just an incredible blessing to be over their life, Lord God, that you would continue to have them increase in, in, in their lives, Lord God, so that they could be a testimony to the world around them of how good you are and that your promises are true. God, we thank you for this message. We will hold it in our heart. God, we will pray over it. We will put it to, to use, God. Pray that we would take this message into our week and let it be something that we put in and cement down in our heart, Lord God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. If you believe that, shout amen. Amen. And give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Come on. He's preeminent. He cannot change. He cannot think. He's incredible. He is great. Let's stand up on our feet this morning.